Welcome to Uncontained, episode 136. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and today I talk with the talented writer-slash-director Willow Paulson. She's co-founder of Pulsar Entertainment and also Chronic Kinesis Entertainment as well. Uh, Pulsar is an online comic company and Chronokinesis Entertainment, which focuses on film and transmedia, giving storytellers a place to tell their story. So it's a very interesting interview. We hear some great stories of how her arts and crafts background has actually come in handy making props for sets. Um, We hear about a mentor relationship she had with the showrunner of the NBC show Heroes and how that inspired her to decide that film production is what she wants to do, along with other aspects of the entertainment industry. I did learn something in this show, which I found myself saying a lot, but I found that it is not good to say somebody's an aspiring something. That person should definitely just be that something instead of aspiring to be it. So let's break free from society's chains. This is how Willow Pulson lives uncontained. How are you doing today, Willow? Hey, I'm doing good. All right, great. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. I know it's a little early in the morning right now, but uh, sometimes you got to pry those eyes open in the morning, do what you like to do. <laughs> yep, yep. Hey, I'm, I'm used to working all hours as necessary, and I have caffeine, so I'm good to go. <laughs> all right, yes. Caffeine is like one of those creative juices. I almost think it's like almost replaced the absinthe from back in like the old days, but no green fairies. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I guess I've never really drank in real absence, so I can't really compare the two. But you know, it's it's life fuel either way. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's it's very different. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that right there. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a loose interpretation. I don't know, but um, <laughs> anyway, enough about um, miscomparing beverages. Um, you you are a very busy lady. Like as I was telling you earlier, when I research people, there's like typically one rabbit hole I just have to go down to find out what I need about them. But you, you have multiple rabbit holes, the writing side, the producing side, some of the work that you've done. And it's like, I start going down one rabbit hole and like, Oh, I need to look at another aspect just so it's not a one sided interview. So along with uh, your production companies, um, which Pulsar and Chronokinesis, you are a writer as well. So which did you start out with, writing or production? Uh, writing. 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 I've, I've been a, pr- a professional writer for a number of years. Um, I actually started out in magazines and editorial and, and over in that sector and, and, you know, along the way I've learned different skills and, and my strength is really brevity. I've done a couple of novels. Um, it was a struggle. That's the hardest thing I've ever written, actually, <laughs> novels. It's just not my strength. Um, I, I do better with comic book scripts or, um, you know, cause it's so crystallized and you, you can't waste a word, you know? And I feel like yeah. in novels, I'm just sort of like rambling to ramble to fill space almost. And I, it's just not my favorite thing to do. Okay. Yeah. So like, how did you get into writing comic? Uh, or first, how long have you been writing comic books for? Uh, with Pulsar, uh, a couple of years, actually, and um, that's an interesting story. I'm a co-founder of that company, um, but the guy, the CEO, Jeff, who started the whole thing, um, found me because I was one of the top finishers in uh, a competition run by Stan Lee and MTV. They were looking okay. for new comic book writing talent, and I was like, oh, I can do that. I can do anything because I'm me. <laughs> and so I thought, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. So I, I looked at what a comic book uh, uh, script format looked like, and I thought, okay, well, this makes sense to me. And so there isn't really a, a thing that everyone must do. There's not a standard format like there is with um, you know, screenplays. 
So um, I just kind of wrote what made sense and, and, you know, followed along what, what other good scripts were doing and, and submitted it. And by golly, it, it you know, was in the top uh, finishers. And even though that project didn't end up going anywhere, um, he found me through that and read my submission, which was online, and said, hey, I think you're great. I've contacted everybody from this competition, and do you want to start a digital comic book company? I'm like, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to to get my comics uh, off the ground um, for some time, and the problem is with most comic book publishers is that you need to have an artist on board and submit as a team. And I was unable to really find an artist that was really, you know, of, of the quality that I wanted that would do the five pages required to submit to most of the, the major publishers. And I even had standing offers from places, hey, you ever find an artist? We'll look at anything you send us. I love your work. And, and I, that was the hurdle. Wow. But through Pulsar, he was able to match me up with, with a couple of different artists to do a couple of different titles. And so then I was off and running. That helped the company. It produced original content. You know, and here we are a couple of years later. We've been to Comic-Con a couple of times. We've got some uh, stuff I can't talk about possibly happening for the company. So, uh, yep, Very cool. The stuff yep. you can't talk about is always the stuff you actually want to talk about, though. So that, know, that's right? kind of that's kind of what sucks <laughs> about non-disclosure agreements. It's like I can't wait to talk about this, but I can't right now. Uh, but let me get this straight: you like, had you not written a comic before you submitted to this uh, Stanley MTV competition? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and then you got got into the finals uh, on your first attempt writing a comic book. That's that's pretty impressive, right there. I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's story, right? I mean, it's it's all how you tell the story, what format the story is in, and this is actually something that I I tell everybody that will will sit down and listen to me for five minutes about this. But on panels, anywhere, this is what I say: it's like any story can be told in any number of ways. You can take. Spider-Man, okay, it could be a comic book, it could be a feature film, it could be a series, it could be an audio drama, it could be on television, it could be a web series, it could be anything you want it to be. The story itself is, is the nucleus from which you know, all this other stuff can come. It's just how you tell that story in the different media. You know? okay. So really, for me, taking a story... Figuring out, okay, a comic book has to be X number of pages. You need these beats. It's just like episodic television, except um, you can you can show more like what the person's thinking. There's not really you know the restricted budget here. I mean, we can have people flying and doing all these things, you know, um, and and make it any way you want as long as you're not impacting like copyrights and trademarks. You know? Yeah, those are always tricky sometimes. <laughs> right, right, you know. So, but because I was working in, they, they gave basically, here, here's the characters, here's the setting, here's what is going to happen in the future with this circumstance, and go. And that's actually something I do well, is work in other people's sandboxes. So okay. it was like the perfect situation for me. And, and because I do write with brevity, as I mentioned, I was able to take the story, make it, you know, the right page count, and then say, and in the future, this is what will happen to these characters. And, and that was, you know, definitely what they were looking for. So, <laughs> Very cool. So what was your, well, I'm just curious. I know it didn't mm-hmm. go anywhere, but what was the script or the uh, comic book script that you wrote about that you submitted into the contest? Like, what... um, It was in the story world that they had created. So it was called The Seekers. And it's been long enough now that I'm trying to remember what it was about. But it was something where there was an archaeological dig and they discovered... Um, this mysterious artifact, and there were these other characters that that were you know from other worlds that that were linked to this artifact, and you have the intrepid reporter character, you know, trying to figure out kind of a Lois Lane type, you know, what what is it what does it mean? Who are these mysterious people who are going to come and basically probably attack me later? You know, <laughs> so, um, okay, yeah, it was yeah yeah it was fun. Um, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, it would have been good to work on, but for whatever reason, uh, MTV just ended up not going forward with the project. Okay, so they actually pulled the plug on the whole the whole project, and yeah. then that's kind of how uh, Pulsar was started up. Okay. Um, um, 
Yeah, sort of. I mean, basically, the guy, uh, it's not really connected to the to the contest directly. Um, he just had discovered the, that the information for the people who had submitted and, and were the finalists, that was all online, and he was able to, to contact us all, and several of us from that competition have, have come on as, as founding members of Pulsar. Okay, very cool, very cool. So... Now you've got Pulsar, you've got your comics. Um, I saw something about. Uh, is there like a witchcraft book that you wrote about actually crafts? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've got uh, the crafty witch or something from... like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought that was kind of a clever title, and there's like different kind of. Uh, I don't know. It seems like there's different themes. Like one's like a paganism one. Is that correct too, or? Yeah, um, there, I was uh, submitted to, uh, um, well, yeah, it's been, again, it's been long enough now. It's like, oh, my God, back into the history of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry um, about probing. Sorry about probing. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm just like, oh, brain, work, what are you doing? Um, so, um, gee, I don't know, 20 years ago, just about, um, it was, yeah, my son was, like, really little when I did all this. Um, but... It was Citadel Press um, was looking for for content, and I figured that there's no books like that at the time. There, I, I was very much into crafts. I was coming off of a, um, a publishing company uh, for magazines that okay. did crafts, that did popular woodworking and Needlepoint Plus and these, you know, consumer magazines. And so I've always been all about crafts. I'm like a super ultra craftswoman. I'm standing in the middle of my crafts room right now as I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I got a sewing machine here. And um, I was like, you know, th- that's two things that, that I'm very interested in and that are part, important parts of my life, which is, uh, which, which is witches. <laughs> and then uh, also, um, you know, crafts. And I thought, well, you know, there's no book really. There's one book by oh Dorothy Morrison at the time that was uh, had some some like quilting designs I think it was, but there was a, a book like that. And I was like oh I see a hole in the market, and so I submitted my stuff. They loved it, and um, I wrote ended up writing five books for Citadel, which is distributed by Penguin Putnam, and they're all I think out of print at this point. It's been so long, but um, yeah, it did pretty well. So. Okay, yeah, I thought I saw something. Maybe it was just uh, Audible book about it or something like that. I saw I saw it online, like uh, Amazon. I think ha- might have it, but I'm not sure. Um, at least that's what it looked like. If it is, mm-hmm. uh, you might be able to get yourself a copy of it if you want to do some yeah. witchy arts and crafts. Um, These all show up uh, on Amazon, but like weirdly with like you know strange high prices, like three hundred dollars used or something. And there's some weird metric for that, and I can't remember what the, what that is, but. Yeah, they're around. I mean, you know, honestly, I would go to uh, bookfinder.com. You'll get a used copy. If you want to mail it to me, I'll sign it. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, cool. So uh, now, do any of these arts and crafts that, uh, you know, that you have in the book or that you've done over the years play a role in either uh, your work at Pulsar or uh, Chronokinesis? That's an interesting question. You know, no one's asked me that before. Um, I think so, just because it's so highly visual. It's the visual arts. Um, I was an art major in college, and um, I'm always conscious of, of color and texture and light and how those things interplay, which, you know, obviously is very important in film. Yeah. Uh, being able to identify, okay, that is not going to work with that because X, you know, whatever, and, and being able to, to understand what, what does the costume department need? What does the art department need? What are these materials? Are they toxic? Is it going to dry in time? Because <laughs> I have familiarity with, with so many of these things. Yeah. Cool. So, like, uh, I, I was actually kind of wondering, like, if you're like, oh, we need a prop for this set. I don't know where to get it. Oh, I can make that prop. <laughs> I just did that, actually. <laughs> I was shooting in the Bay Area in June. Uh, my my passion project um, that I will go on about for hours, if you allow it, <laughs> is um, called Triune. And it's about uh, three brothers who discover that they're not quite as human as they thought they were, and it totally screws up their lives. But it's awesome at the same time, because it, it's like a gift to them and a okay. curse to them. And basically, 
they discover that they're actually angels and have been the whole time, just didn't know it, that they've been kind of activated, you know, and so... Uh, it, so we were shooting a, um, a live action, uh, promo pitch reel that I am combined. I, I showed it at, uh, Comic Con actually. We got it done in time. Oh, cool. And it starts off, well, I'm going back to Pulsar. That was the project I really wanted to get made into a comic book, but couldn't, you know, find an artist. And so I've got this great artist. We start, it's on there now, pulsar.pub. You can read it, hopefully, if the site is <laughs> operating correctly. We've actually had a few technical difficulties lately. But um, uh, we've been able to take that and then make it into a motion comic for uh, Kid Pyre TV Network. Oh, cool. And we're almost done with that. Um, and so I was able to take some of the beginning of that and then all the expensive stuff, like the guy coming through the ceiling and everything, <laughs> that, that was in the comic book. And then it switches to live action to show people, hey, here's what this could look like. Don't you want to buy it? It looks great. Hey, hey, you know, so uh, we're shooting that. And the the DP, a director of photography, actually had the idea of, um, you know, what if we have this this wing shadow cast across the face of one of the guys in the room? So you've got this wing opening up as he's standing up, and it looks all impressive and, and amazing. And and so at some point I was like, where are we going to get a wing that does that? <laughs> I have to make one. So. <laughs> So I actually did, and I have it just still sitting over here in my room, <laughs> and it's just it's just cardboard and some some brads and you know some fabric to make it move correctly, and and it looks freaking amazing. <laughs> Very cool. I actually just got done talking to this uh, artist down in New Orleans that I met while mm-hmm. we were down there uh, this summer, and he has worked on like the uh, Mardi Gras floats and made mm-hmm. some giant heads out of it's not paper mache, but it's like cardboard with contact uh, cement on it. And, like, you can make, like, giant, like, I don't know, one of them was a goblin head, another one was, um, like, a creepy clown, and then, like, a cowboy or a Cajun, and it it was just really cool, it kind of made me think of, made me think of that and how he did that, and then can, like, you know, change the props to go with what, uh, what is needed as well. Yeah, yeah, it's so useful having those skills, and I tell people all the time, People, you know, I haven't had a word this exactly, but bear with me here. Basically, people come out of film school with a a broad knowledge of here's the theory of how you make a thing, and they've probably made a couple things, and that's fine. But chances are they haven't had the life experience in tons of different departments. Yeah. They want to specialize. They want to be a director. They want to be whatever they're going to be. And they haven't spent time in the other departments, so they don't really understand what the other departments need, what their deadlines are, what the challenges are, what the expenses are. And and having that type of of experience from other points in their life, like, you know, arts and crafts, like I mentioned earlier, how long does that thing take to dry? Well, it could be two days, you know, you should be aware of that. And that's an art department thing. But when you're indie and you're working on a very small crew and you are wearing many hats, it's it's super important to be aware of of you know what your other departments need so that there's good communication and they don't get mad at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're not like, oh, I need this uh, wing and I need it like in three hours when in reality it takes like three days. You know, yeah, and exactly. The person's like trying to throw something together to make it like sub some subpar vision that they had in their head. Right. <laughs> right, I, right, I understand exactly. that completely. Um, so now. How did you end up making the transition from being a writer to being a producer? Oh, well, (laughs) it's been kind of an interesting path. Um, There there was a little show you may have heard of called Heroes, and um, it, it just utterly captured me. It was like no other show I before or since. It's just been like grabbed me by the throat and did not let go. I'm, I don't know why. It just total, totally hit a nerve with me. And um, the, a friend of mine and I were doing like a fan site, a fan website, and then we got called on by NBC to help run the official fan club. And we got deeper and deeper and deeper into that series and into that world. And eventually we ended up meeting the showrunner, Tim Crane. 
cool. And for whatever reason, he's just been super gracious to me and has brought me on set. He's, you know, brought me into to editing sessions and in probably situations he shouldn't have <laughs> of different union rules. But, you know, hey, that's... Yeah. Uh, he's a showrunner. He can, he can do what he wants, but um, it 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 just opened my eyes. It was like, oh my god, this is amazing! I don't have to just because originally Heroes was like, oh my god, someone could write this and it shows up on TV. Wow! And that got me excited about the idea of maybe I can write what I want. And at the same time, I was reading. It just happened. Um, uh, Zen and the Art of Writing by Ray Bradbury, one of my favorite books, and and that. Those two things combined to, to be like, hey, yo, you can do the thing. And I was like, oh, wow, maybe I can really do the thing. So as <laughs> so I'm sitting there, okay, here's, here's my origin story, right? Okay. But I, I'm sitting there. Uh, Tim's invited me to watch the filming of the first episode of season two of Touch, which was his series right after Heroes. And, and I'm there all day in Santa Monica following him around and watching the filming, and this is super fascinating. It's the first time I've been really on a professional working set like that. And he and I are sitting next to each other at the beach watching this thing unfold, and they're grooming the sand and doing whatever they're doing, and, he, and I just, it just hit me right at that moment. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he's like, what, sit on the beach? I'm <laughs> 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 like, no, I want to be in television. I want to be in film. I want to, I want to make this. I want to do this. And, you know, he's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and, and didn't really think much of it, you know, because people say these things. Of course. But for whatever reason, that was my, my moment. That was the, the moment that lightning hit. And it was like, I, this, I have to do this. And I just started training myself and just dove into it and poured myself into how do I do this? And using past knowledge of doing live events, I realized, hey, you know what? <laughs> Putting a shoot together is very much like uh, running a live event because when the moment hits, you better have all your ducks in a row and you better be ready to roll at 8 o'clock or whatever the time is. Time waits for no one and yeah. <laughs> you, better, you better get your crap together. And um, yeah, and I've just been learning more of the technical stuff like what what do these things do? What are these things called? What are industry terms for X Y Z? And and it's um, tech, just technical knowledge at that point, you know. Okay, very cool. So it's it it's always good to get the origin story, especially especially when uh, comics are involved with some of it. It's only it's only right to have an origin story if you have <laughs> some comics. Everybody has to have one, and uh, you know. So, but um, now where did like for your production company, uh, Chronokinesis, yeah. uh, where did that name come from? Like, why did you choose uh, Chronokinesis? Uh, well, the main project uh, that I was working on with my friend, uh, Ginger Polly, who actually I met through Heroes because she was on the show. She was in a couple, uh, a couple of episodes. She was in the 1961 episode um, as uh, Peter and Nathan's grandma, actually. Okay. <laughs> and we met through that. And um, she wanted to do a show about vintage stuff. And at the time, I was thinking, well, I really want to get into production. I was like, well, hey, why don't we try making this together? Why can't we do that? Let's, let's do it, you know? And, um, and I realized pretty quickly that in order to protect ourselves and in order to um, open some doors and, and, you know, I'd run businesses before. I was like, oh, you know what? We, we need to have this under the name of a actual production company. We need to, to make this legal. We need to have an LLC, you know, just to be able to say. And I was just on one of my fitness walks, just brainstorming about what I should call this thing. And chronokinesis just fell into my head, just partly because of the, the superhero thing, you know, because pyrokinesis is controlling fire, right? So yeah. chronokinesis is controlling time. And I realized everything pretty much that I've been working on or wanted to work on had to either do with being in a different time, like, you know, I've got this uh, feature that takes place just after the Civil War, or I've got Vintage America, which talks about uh, things as they were and as they are today. And, you know, and then some time stuff and supernatural stuff and sometimes both. And I thought, you know, that's just, that's just kind of a neat name. I don't think anyone has it. And they didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you have the time period piece or like the 
uh, as you mentioned, uh, Vintage America, which seems like a show that you could find on either the History Channel or PBS or something like running right after mm-hmm. Antiques Roadshow or right. something like that, which I don't know. I, I watched uh, what was episode one and uh, it was it was really kind of cool like hearing about some of the things there was like a clothing company that was made had clothes made mm-hmm. in america some makeup company some old doctor's house that was built in the out in what was considered the sticks back in the day and yep, it, yep. it was it was informative and entertaining um our right. like are most of your shows going to be set in different time periods are are some more of your productions going to be related to the name chronokinesis um yeah i i'm not necessarily limiting what is going to come of things um because of the name of the company so um i i'm looking at what makes sense in in different markets and what my opportunities are um like if i have an, a great opportunity with um something that would show up on animal planet or something I'm I'm going to run with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, those things interest me the most, both historical stuff and um, sci-fi, fantasy, urban fantasy, supernatural type stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's whatever needs doing. <laughs> okay, right on. So I'm glad to hear it's not necessarily limiting, but you know, and it's cool to that it's named after like your main kind of sort of interest in film though as well um now yeah, yeah i mean I, I always like the vintage stuff i mean the website got a vintage feel to it eventually when we have offices we're going to do kind of a, a, a time travel mashup and you know mid-century furniture and old-fashioned typewriters and yeah <laughs> yeah have fun with that whole theme yeah, the website kind of has like a old paper look to it in some parts. Uh, you know, like the aged paper. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and the Carno logo is is like a, a a copper patina, and the fonts are very vintage fonts. All right, very cool. So, speaking of time, uh, <laughs> what what is next for you? What's in the future that you can talk about? We already established that there's some things with NDAs that you can't mention right now, uh, but what what can you talk about that's coming up here in the near future? Ah, right. Uh, so I've got the the motion comic for uh, for Triune, which is just about done. I've just sent some, last night sent off some correction notes to the animator. Uh, my husband is actually my sound guy and uh, does all my scoring, does all my sound design, and he's just so good at it. I'm so fortunate <laughs> to have him on the team. And he's just been uh, reworking the score and some of the sound effects last night, did a couple of more corrections. Um, so that's just about ready to run. Um, and then I've got upcoming uh, is, uh, this is a fun project. Okay, I, I really like this. A, fr- a mutual friend introduced me to uh, a gal who is, if, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and all. Yeah, yeah, but, they actually rebooted it. Yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. Uh, and the, in the old series, though, uh, one of their most popular episodes was Manos, The Hands of Fate. Now, have you heard of this movie? I have, yes. Okay, awesome. Basically, for those who haven't, it, it's probably the worst movie ever made. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 just it it's so awful that it's that it's got this huge cult following because it's just so bad. It's wor- far worse than Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's like anyway. So, but the thing is, um, I met the gal who played Debbie, the little girl, in the film. And we just totally hit it off. And right now, she's kind of got this second career renaissance going on for herself, where it's it's now Manos and Debbie everything. And I was like, well, hey, it hasn't been ever a comic book. Would you be interested in allowing us to license your image and you know some of the, the Manos stuff? And she's like, yeah, this sounds fan freaking fantastic. Let's do it. And then I was able to find a company looking for content that's a new uh, um, uh, digital distribution company that is starting up hopefully in the next few months um but i mean not in terms of showing material in the next few months but launching and getting things filmed that's original content for them okay. it's like well hey i've been wanting to make this into a web series would you be interested and i'm like yeah this sounds freaking amazing so 
they, and the thing is, Man of the Hands of Fate, the original film, is in the public domain, so you can do anything you want with it. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we're doing like a, a a kind of a gritty reboot, sort of, sort of, not not. Basically, little Debbie has grown up, and so Jackie Naaman Jones is the same gal is reprising her role as Debbie, but she's now a grown-up monster hunter, a la kind of Buffy, sort of, and is out there, you know, still fighting Manos and other monsters and et cetera, and, uh, you know, and there's some comedy in there. There's some new characters in there. Um, so that that's one that I think is going to be a lot of fun to work on and, and do pretty well, and I'm pretty excited about that one. Yeah, I saw some stuff as I was uh, looking over your body of work about the worst show, movie ever turned into a TV series or a web series, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was kind of hoping that you would talk about that a little bit when I asked that question. <laughs> yeah. um, now, like, okay, that that's public domain, but would you have yep. possibly been able to get away with this, like, say, under parody law, in a way? Um, because like, you know, robot chicken and everything like that, they do stuff that's copywritten, but they get through it via like, because it's a parody of that. Yeah. It would have to be a straight up comedy. Uh, you know, like, um, Spaceballs was a parody of Star Wars. Yes. You know, so that is a clear parody where they're taking the same characters, making them ridiculous and it's a comedy and it's all for laughs and kind of stuff. But I mean, we aren't. It's it is a, a it, it's got comedy in it, but it is dramatic also. Um, so it's really technically not a parody. I don't think a court would <laughs> say it was a parody. Like in a million years, you, okay. you could someone else could go and do a parody, and I think have. <laughs> there's a few <laughs> small films out there. There's actually like a coloring book. I mean, there's a few other things. Oh, there's a puppet show, Manos the Hands of Felt. <laughs> <That's> quite charming. <laughs> So <laughs> things like that, um, those are clear parodies. But yeah, this one is not so much. But it's fortunate that it's public domain. So, ha, ha. Yes, that, <laughs> that works. Like, how old does a movie yeah. have to be before it's public domain? Oh, gee. Um, this one is public domain, even though it was made in uh, 1966, because it was never properly copyrighted. And it uh. fell into, into that. Um, anything before... Uh, 1963 is, is kind of the cutoff. Um, I actually have a script that has revision pages marked, of course, 1963, not 1962. No, no, it had to be 1963. <laughs> so I have to take those pages out, and I may be able to do something with that older script from the 50s. Yeah. Protested at yard sale. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds utterly ridiculous, but so is the script. So, <laughs> but um, that's that's generally the cutoff. Um, and there's actually a quick aside. It, I find it interesting. Others may find it boring, but here we are. Um, there is uh, kind of a black hole in the copyright office where anything after 1963 or after is considered copyright. Even if there are no claimants, meaning like some guy did a thing and everyone in his family is dead and it was never properly copyrighted, doesn't matter. The copyright office says there's a copyright automatically applied, Ooh. which throws a ton of material into a void where you can't do anything with it because it's quote unquote under copyright. But to whom? No one, because no one is alive to have that except the copyright office. So it's just this weird limbo that they're trying to resolve in some way that I hope they do. Um, but yeah, I don't even remember why I got on that topic, but here you are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I derailed us to uh, parody law and copyright. I apologize. Um, but <laughs> um, so like, I guess like right now it'd be great to get a little bit of advice for people who are looking to get started out. Obviously you had some guidance along your way from the uh, showrunner of heroes, uh, what would be some advice that you would like to pass along to somebody who's either looking to get started out or possibly take that next step inside the door? Uh, network, 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 network. And when you're done doing that, network some more because um, that is how anything happens. I mean, you can be super talented and not know anyone and you just you know struggle in, in obscurity. You could be have no talent whatsoever and know everyone and then get things greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm sure we've seen many, many times because 
there's some pretty terrible stuff out there. There but is. they knew the right people, and that is absolutely critical. It, it really is who you know. That's so important. Just never stop networking. Go to the things. You don't want to go to the thing? Too bad. Go to the thing. All right? I'm telling you right now, <laughs> get out there. If you're an introvert, learn how to not be an introvert. <laughs> Take a wingman with you. You know, anything you need to do to make connections, do it. So what would be like a good, do you have any tr tricks or tips as far as like actually making those connections once you get to that place, uh, you know, go to the event and what would be like a good way to network there? Any, any tips? That is so hard. Oh my God. I hate doing it too. It's like, oh, I don't want to do it. But you have to do it. And, um, what, what I, what I generally do and see now people are going to see this coming, <laughs> But here's my tip for the day. Uh, you know, when, when you're in a room with someone and, and you say, hey, hi, you know, what do you do? And shake their hand and say, oh, this is a nice party. Hey, what do you do? And then the ball's in their court, and they're like, oh, my God, someone wants to know what I do. And, <laughs> and chances are they'll tell you, oh, I'm, you know, whatever. I've, I'm a cinematographer. And they talk a little bit. And then the polite thing to do is ask, well, what do you do? And then you, you have now that opportunity to say, oh, well, I'm a producer and I'm looking for a cinematographer on a project next month. What types of films do you make? And then you're having a conversation and you're now friends. <laughs> Very cool. That, yeah, that works. And it's like when they ask, like, what do you do? You're like, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> well, I don't, don't be obnoxious about it. But, <laughs> but just have a natural response that's just friendly and prepared so that you, when they ask what you do, you don't just go, uh, I don't know, and pull a Cindy Brady and just kind of blank out. Um, you, you have to be prepared and articulate and don't drink too much. <laughs> but drink just enough to, to loosen your lips a little. <laughs> You're not <laughs> like punched up. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be there like, um, yeah, so, uh, um, so I... I, uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, no, you can't do that. Don't blow it. What, what I did tonight was drink too many of these. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that could be a conversation. If, if you, the conversation just naturally goes in a different direction, let them lead and try to be, you know, interesting and nice and not, you know, run over, oh, well, here's 15 things I need to tell you about right now. Just, just don't be that guy, you know. I mean, just be friendly and reserved and kind and, you know, and you know each other. And then later... You know, if you can get their contact info, awesome. If you can't, follow them on their social media, friend them on Facebook. Yeah. All right, perfect. That's great advice right there. Um, now, this kind of goes hand in hand with the networking, but in addition to networking, what are you doing to promote yourself and uh, your two uh, production companies? Oh, everything. <laughs> Everything ever. I'm I'm getting interviewed by people. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going pretty well. Um, I I was on a, a panel at YouTube Space uh, last month. Yeah, July. Good lord, where's the time going? Um, so I'm hoping to be on a couple more similar panels like that. And that's because I happened to run into a guy who just thinks that what I'm doing is good, and he needs me to you know, say the thing, and so I'm doing the thing, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's again, networking, huh? it all comes from that, um, and, and being more visible when possible, uh, social media is important, I just got talked into joining Instagram, um, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of exhausting, really, I mean, really all I'm doing right now is, uh, in terms of social media, is Facebook and a little bit of Instagram and, and occasionally Twitter when I have to, but I kind of think Twitter is kind of a cesspool, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of cheat with Twitter. Like, I post my, I take my Instagram posts and have mm -hmm. it posted to Twitter as well, so you get a little action on Twitter. I'm still not the best at the whole tweeting thing, uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, Instagram and Facebook is kind of where I follow along, too, you yeah. know? Yeah, uh, I, I keep Twitter around just because I know that's, people have their favorite thing, and some people, that is their preferred thing, and you can do um, private messaging through there, and um, that's been beneficial in that way. But, um, yeah, I really don't use Twitter that much because I, you get just random people coming out of the woodwork to, you know, say stupid shit, and it's like, yeah. Okay, yeah. 
And I, but I think he, I think you would be good at Twitter, not not the stupid shit comment, but uh, the brevity. Like yeah. you said, you write w- really well with brevity, and you know, there's uh, you got to keep those tweets kind of short. So I, I, yeah. I think you'd actually have talent at Twitter. You'd be a talented yeah, yeah. tweeter. It, like, yeah, I suppose it just it just seems to draw you know just as many negative, terrible people as it does you know good stuff, and and I think a lot of people kind of have, have abandoned it because of that atmosphere. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm just not on there that much, but um, but Facebook I try and keep up with. I, my personal wall, um, I definitely try and keep it um, positive, helpful, interesting. Uh, I post funny things. Um, it, it's it's pretty curated. I mean, I I <laughs> used to use it in the way that that normal average people use it, and um, I was just discovering that it's just kind of not a good idea to go on a a d- depression rant <laughs> on your Facebook wall, even to friends, because when you start <laughs> friending people that are also producers and and you know things like that, they they kind of really don't want to hear about your your personal issues, and and that can actually lose your work. Yeah. But, um, that has not happened to me, but honestly, I have had friends on there who are just not real careful about what they're saying, as if they're typing into a void and other people are not reading what they're saying. Well, hundreds of people are reading what they're saying, and it's like, dude, you might not want to say that. That's not real good, um, which is tough because, you know, I mean, creative people... Depression is a thing for creative people. Quite often, uh, we feel very deeply, and that includes the highs and includes the lows. And I'm not saying um, anything about you know any kind of diagnoses or anything. It's just it tends to be that way for highly creative people. And and we want to express, we want to feel like you know we're not just screaming into a void. And and but unfortunately, on social media, way lots more people see that stuff than you really should. You know, yeah. like you don't want to stand in a room of a thousand people on a table and go, hey, everyone, I'm currently really depressed. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you, you just kind of shouldn't do that. Yeah, that'd be the opposite so. of what you actually wanted to do if you were depressed. So, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it feels really safe on social media to do that, but it's just not the swiftest move. So no. I had to kind of back way off on personal things like that, you know, personal sharing, oversharing, TMI. Yeah, and then now nowadays, like posts that people have put up, like when they were like sixteen or something like that, or like uh, back like ten years ago, um, you know, are coming back to haunt them, and you're seeing that in Hollywood as well. So the lesson should be just be careful what you post. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Something that seems funny and clever, if it can be taken as a not not bad. Um, I I wouldn't do it um, unless you're you know a, a professional comedian or something who is known for that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it, I mean, <laughs> just like in school, it becomes part of your permanent record, and and think about what is going to be there for posterity in you know fifty years. Exactly, exactly. So, um, all right, and the, like let's uh, move on here to a more uplifting part here uh then like be careful what you type people will read it forever um what is a (laughs) i know right the echo continues on um what would be (laughs) what would be a highlight or two that you would care to share Uh, i'm sure you have plenty of them so i'm not asking for like the highlight of your career but what would be a highlight or two that you care to share with the uncontained audience well, I mean, that, that moment on the beach with Tim was just like, you know, kablam. That was like, the, uh, it was, just, it was the, one of the best days of my life, I swear to God. But um, recently, this spring, actually, uh, Vintage America with Ginger won uh, Best uh, Unscripted Series, Best Nonfiction Series at the Indie Series Awards in Burbank. And that was like, that was a trip because that was like the first legit red carpet with the photographers and the media and walk up on stage and, and the music's playing. It's like, holy crap, <laughs> this is legit, man. <laughs> Did you get to so do that, an acceptance speech? Yes. I was terrified. I, I hadn't prepared <laughs> anything because I'm like, oh, my God, we're never going to win this. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, and Ginger was crying. It was great. I was like, I, I for a moment forgot the name of my director. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> all the things in my brain 
it's amazing like with that pressure on you up there like everybody's like oh i'm sure i'm forgetting people but yeah you like they like a switch goes on or off one direction or another it's like all i can think about oh my god i won and can't think about anything else yeah i mean i just okay don't trip walking up the stairs okay we've gotten to there now <laughs> get to the podium okay we got there <laughs> it's like, this, this weird thing goes in your brain where you're just like excited and and everything else is like like this this like when you turn on on well i guess that isn't a thing anymore you turn on the tv to no channel and there's just like the static and white noise that's like yeah i remember that though yes i I was around for the static channels on television (laughs) um so that analogy (laughs) is not lost on me but it's just like um, or like a get it like a dead radio station Right, so half my brain's a dead radio station, and the other half is like, I have to say something intelligent now, and we never thought we'd win, and just sort of wandering up there in a daze, going, wow, what just happened? Yeah, yeah, and it can definitely, definitely take you by surprise. Not saying that I've won any major awards or anything, but I'm thinking, if one day I won a podcasting award, I'd probably uh-huh. be in the same position, so... um now, when people read your comics or watch one of your shows that you produce, is there a certain feeling you want them to take away or something that you want them to remember about uh, about your work? Ah, okay, it's a good question. Um, one, one thing that's really important to me, um, and that sort of has, has driven a little bit of this for me, um, is, is bringing kind of more positive stuff back to the... Uh, sounds all grandiose, bringing, bringing positive things back to the world. But when you look at what so much television is so dark and so grim and gritty and we have, you know, Superman snapping a guy's neck and it's just like, okay, this is just wrong. Something, something has gone terribly wrong. Yeah. And I feel like part of what I need to do here is, is bring back hope and bring back the, the themes of, of heroes. And that's part of what grabbed me was anybody can be a hero. You know, even if you don't think you can be, or even if you, you started, you know, going to a bad place, you can redeem yourself. You can, you know, there's always hope. There's always things you can do to help other people, to make the world better, to help the planet, that kind of stuff, without being saccharine about it. Yeah. You know? um, the, the, the journey of, of the brothers in Triune, um, yeah, they're angels. Okay, great. But it's not a religious story. It's not about, you know, any of that. It's about them as people, as human beings first, who have discovered this is in them. And what do they do with that? Because they've been given no instructions, they have no help, they're just like bumbling around going, uh, okay, so this is a thing, I guess, apparently, oh my god, now I'm about to lose my job because I suddenly can't do that, or X, or whatever, I'm getting called out to save people from a burning building and I should be in a business meeting. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that kind of stuff, it screws with them. So that is, is, is there, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a people journey really, right? It's relatable in that way. It's like, we're not all, you know, have superpowers, but when life takes a hard left, what do you do with that? How do you cope with that? How do you come out of that being a better person? You know, cause we all have those hard left, right? Yes. So, um, and, and that's everything I do in, in Vintage America is the same in, in that it's uplifting, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's you know, charming, it's cheerful, it's not saccharine, but it is definitely positive. And and that's what I, I want to do with all of this, is give the world more positive things to, to look at. Because entertainment in the media is extremely powerful. I mean, it can be used for propaganda, it can be used to give people hope, it can save a life. You know, someone yeah. watches or hears or reads the right thing at the right time, it touches them in such a way that they'll go, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe I can do this thing. Maybe I have a higher purpose. Maybe I can reach out and get help. Maybe that's the right thing to do. Or maybe this other thing is the wrong thing to do. And, and I feel like that's why we're all here is to help each other, not to knock each other down, not to, you know, create more darkness. We, we don't need to feed that, you know. And so that's where I'm coming from with all, everything I do. All right, perfect, perfect. Is there like it's that's that's a really good uh, thing to take away—a little positivity and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, I agree. Uh, the world needs a little bit more of that, especially with what's been going on. Uh, is yeah. there 
is there any certain or specific way or element that you put into your films that helps you get that across? Uh, um, yeah, there isn't a specific thing. Um, it, it, every story has its own way of getting that across. Um, even in in horror stories, um, I, I don't like to do them. I've done a couple of shorts on commission for a guy. It's not my favorite thing to do, but there's a morality tale in there. You know, you can see that the, the, the villain is doing the wrong thing. It's horrible, it's awful, it's, you know, involves murder or whatever it is, but the message is not, and isn't this great? <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely, hey guys, uh, maybe don't do this terrible thing. Because <laughs> it's kind of terrible, you know. I mean, it's important. Like my husband and I have recently been been binging uh, Once Upon a Time. I didn't see it during its first run, but we've started watching this, and it's really interesting. Usually, I, I strongly dislike villains because they're such a trope. I mean, I really, really hated Siler in Heroes because he was so two dimensional. And then they kind of tried to give him a backstory that was only sort of successful, and and I'm just not a fan. But in Once Upon a Time, one of my favorite characters is Rumpelstiltskin, actually. Really? Because he's just so interesting. And and the more you learn about him, the more layers he has. And the reasons for doing what he does, even though he's a villain, it's like, okay, I see in a twisted way why that happened, or why he's doing that, or what his motivation is there. Okay, yeah. that's that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, like I, I've heard a few people who have like are known for playing villains. One of the things that they look for in the role is that the villain, for some reason or some way, can be justified at least in his own mind for what right. they're doing. Yep. You know, in their own mind, it makes sense. They're getting justice and doing good on some level to make them not feel like a bad person, even though their plan is completely twisted and evil. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like Magneto is a good example of that, right? I mean, all the wrong things for what he perceives as the right reason. And that, actually, in storytelling, is what makes a really good villain, is somebody doing terrible things, but they think, well, I have to do this because it's, you know, whatever, because to uh, avenge the death of my love or because these people are terrible and wronged me and so I need to, you know, replace these terrible people with my people and see, isn't that better now? And and it's that kind of twisted thinking. They think they're completely justified. In, and obviously, you know, they're the villain in the story, so clearly they're not doing something right. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's that complexity that a lot of people don't grasp when they're writing a story. And and it just comes across as, as just, you know, oh, and then you have to have a villain. Uh, okay, this lady, sure, yeah, she's a villain now. It's like, well, why? Why is she just bad? Well, no, why is she bad? Yeah, and they don't think through. People are, are complex creatures. I mean, they have motivations, loves, losses. You know, you have to, to, to flesh out that stuff. Yeah, you even see that uh, development or that depth in a lot of uh, anti-heroes, too. Like, yeah. say, take a look at, I'll go with the classic one, and then, like, um, like Scarface, for example. Like, mm-hmm. he kind of plays the anti-hero, but he... he, he you know he gets in a little over his, he gets in over his head in the end obviously and then you have mm-hmm. the punisher uh sticking mm-hmm. with the comic theme like <laughs> where what he's doing isn't necessarily right but his family was all murdered by this government organization and he's going after them and at all costs so you know there's that I would consider depth. I would consider Batman an anti-hero honestly because he's a vigilante just like Punisher is very true right He's taking the law into his own hands and does all this stuff because he has money and he's judge, jury, and Nick well, not executioner so much, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, or Mad Max, um, the same kind of thing <clears throat> where he's just kind of going along and he's had a bunch of terrible stuff happen. He doesn't always make the right choices. He's selfish, but is prone to helping somebody else. Like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I'll help you. All right. All right. <laughs> Especially if it's yeah. to his advantage, you know, but he still does the right thing. So not always, but there's enough redemption there that we can call him an anti-hero and not just a villain. You know? Yeah, I think 
the key point with Batman is, yeah, he is a vigilante, but he also has his own guidelines of what he won't cross. You know, he has his own moral yeah. code. It may be different from, you know, the actual law, but he has his own moral code that he abides by. Sure. So. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, most it, to have no morals whatsoever. I mean, that that definitely throws someone over into into the, the random, not random, but generic uh, villain bin more than the anti-hero bin because yeah. I mean the more cold like Mad Max probably isn't going to just like walk over and like shoot a child in the head or something terrible like that I mean there is some code there Definitely, definitely. It's something that makes him better than the villain that they're against. You know, like right. Batman has a Joker, which has absolutely no grasp of reality, just completely <laughs> crazy out there. And uh, yeah, so you have that. But uh, yeah, now that we've dissected uh, comic <laughs> books and uh, the villain oh, it's hierarchy. About story. It's about story, though. I mean, and it all comes down to story. I mean, that's, that's when you don't have a, a firm grasp of, of storytelling, story structure, and I don't mean formula, save the cat type stuff. I mean, you know, how do you tell this to people? What are you trying to communicate? Are, are you just kind of like, you know, ha- having a fun time and going, I'm going to talk about my cat for 10 minutes. Well, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but it's not really a story. I mean, there's not a challenge. And I we were just talking about this at breakfast, basically, pretty much most stories I don't want to say all stories. I don't like absolute. Or, you know, person X discovers X, you know, blank, um, and must something, but something. And that's pretty much every movie ever made, right? Yes, yes. You get a person, they make a discovery, which is the catalyst for their journey, and then they have to do something about it, but something stands in their way. Which and it is, doesn't have to be a straight-up villain. It can be a mountain. It can be that they have cancer. It can be some challenge. Yeah, right? the conflict. The conflict. The conflict between them and themselves, or them and a disease, them and a mountain, them and someone with a laser ray gun that's pointed at their you know, loved ones or something. You know I mean? But that's, that's the four things that need to be in a story. Is your main character, has, you know, who, who are they? Well, they discover something. There's your catalyst. They have to do something about that, or you have no story, and they're sitting in their couch, and you don't care. And then something gets in their way, or else it's just not a very interesting story. They just go from point A to point B. Okay, problem solved. Goodbye. It's like no, 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 no. What, what, you know, <laughs> what's the challenge to to solving that? <laughs> the only the only exception to that rule I can think of is uh, the only show that was successful without any real conflict or necessarily it was uh, Jerry Seinfeld's show. Uh, there was there were small conflicts. It was typically the show about nothing they build it as, but of of course there were small conflicts in there. Overall, what was the what was the challenge of the show? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the overall show. I mean, comedies it doesn't really fall in that as much because you're getting so much more out of the comedic value. But even then, even every episode, Jerry wants to, you know, go on a date with this woman, but she sees him in his car and thinks that he's picking his nose when he actually isn't. And there's your challenge. There's your characters. There's your catalyst. There you go. <laughs> it's a show about nothing, but <laughs> by, by golly, there you are. <laughs> yes, exactly. George having to overcome shrinkage. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it does have that plot, but it's a great. It's overall known as a show about nothing, even though it has yeah. something going on. Right. But all right, I do have one final question for you, Willow. Yeah. I do really appreciate you coming on the show, taking time out of your uh, Sunday morning and uh, talking with me today. Before we get to that final question, though, where can people find you online? What a what's your corner of the internet? My corner of the internet. Ooh, I get a corner. I get my own corner. You get a whole corner. It's a sm- probably a small Ooh. corner for the whole internet, I'm sure. But uh, where can yeah, people? Well, you know, where? <laughs> I'm small. I'm small, but that works. I get a small corner because I'm small. Um, I'm I'm on Facebook quite a lot. Um, Instagram less, but I'm kind of going on there, and I post different things on my Instagram generally than I do on my Facebook. So that's kind of fun. Um, otherwise, let's see. 
Uh, right now, as of as of this uh, broadcast, you can see the first episode of Vintage America with Ginger on YouTube for free. Just type in Vintage America with Ginger. Don't forget the with Ginger part, because if you type in just Vintage America, you'll get other different things. Okay. <laughs> um, Pulsar.pub is the home of Pulsar Entertainment. I guess mostly just watch my social media. Follow me on, on uh, Facebook, and I do post stuff about the projects I'm working on, like Triune in its many forms actually does have its own page on on Facebook. Um, uh, let's see, Manos doesn't have its own page yet and probably should, but I'm only one person, so you know I can only do so much there. Um, let's see, what else? What else? What else? Um, I guess that's really the main nucleus. Um, is is I show up there. Um, yeah, you, you can always Google me. I just did the Google verification thing, so I mean stuff that shows up should be actual like good results. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Well, I'll put your contact information in the show notes, your website, the links to your uh, social media pages and stuff like that. So people, if you want to holler out at Willow and be like, hey, I heard you out uncontained. I'm interested in this this project that you're working on. Let her know. Cool. I'm always interested in, and not just hearing from people who are like, yay, you did a cool thing, yay, but also other uh, producers, writers, actors, uh, you know, crew members, above and below the line. I mean, if you want to help out on stuff, I'm always interested in working on my stuff and other people's stuff, um, often free stuff. So um, if you want to volunteer your time to make a cool thing, you know what? I got a lot of stuff we could make together. So Right on. Right on. I'll throw this as a sh- shameless self-promotion to you. I've always <laughs> been interested in uh, getting involved in voiceover and stuff like ah. that. So if you have any voice things, you know, I could I may. partake in. I can do a few voices. I won't go into them now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just have a, have a demo reel right here at the end of the show. Why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's on your time your corner of the internet yes ah. yes i, I have <laughs> my, my own corner, corner too internet. i don't i don't want to invade Mine. your corner i'm not invading your yeah. corner you you have your <laughs> corner and i will not and in, not invading france there or <laughs> wherever poland or you know <laughs> well no that's fine because um yeah i probably i'm always looking for for you know, and I love to refer people too, because if somebody comes to me and goes, "Oh, you know what? I have a thing. I need a male voice, and you sound like this." I'm like, "Ooh, ooh! I got like four guys I can send you," and I do that a lot. So, yes, recommendations. I'm big on recommendations. Perfect, perfect. All right, Willow, it's been great talking to you today. Uh, learned a lot about the production side of things, uh, writing, and got some great advice from you as well. I do have one final question for you today, and that is the title question of the show: Willow Polson. How do you live uncontained? <laughs> oh, boy. Anybody who knows me very well knows that I am, in general, quite uncontained. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been called a force of nature. Um, and, you know, I mean, that is what keeps me going is just determination. And a lot of people succeed in this business just by not giving up. People that give up, then you're out of the game. You know, I mean, you can't go any farther. But if you just don't give up... Things seem to come your way, and you'll meet a new person, and you'll you'll make a new connection. You'll learn something you didn't know ten minutes previous, and you can use that. and And that is so important. Don't give up. The people that succeed don't give up. They they have that that goal. They never lose sight of the goal. They make it their life's work. This is this is not a hobby. This is not something I do in my spare time. This is my day job. I am not an aspiring anything. You're, aspiring is just, just, just please don't use that word, anybody ever, because if you're an aspiring anything, that's all you will ever be. Okay. If you're going to write, be a writer. If you're going to direct, be a director. Don't be an aspiring director. Be a director. Go and own that. To you, what does yeah. aspiring mean then? I think it's kind of a crutch word. I mean, it's like, it, it's something that you do in your head. That is like, someday I'll blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, if you're actually out there doing the thing, you're no longer aspiring. You're doing the thing. And you may be your first time ever, but that doesn't matter. You're now doing it. Own it. And that, that mental link is so important. And I keep telling people, aspiring is just holding you back. 
Okay, interesting. I've I've used the word a few times myself, so I wanted to know your take on it. I, I've kind of used it as like up and coming or something along those lines as like an aspiring singer or or whatnot that hasn't quite got like the recognition that they're looking for. But I can see how it can be used as a crutch as well. Yeah, it's a gradation. It's a series of, of things that happen. It's not like you suddenly walk out your door and you're, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it's like it, it, these things take time. And living the process and seeing someone else go through the process are two very different things. Yes. Because what you're seeing of someone else is like, oh, my God, there's a, they're an overnight success. It took them, you know, might have taken them 10 years to get to that overnight success, right? And you just never saw that whole process. You didn't see the little kid who went to Disneyland was super inspired. Oh my God, I have to do this. And then later is John Lasseter or something like that. You know, you don't see the process that goes on in their head. Definitely. Or like the years of work they put in behind the overnight success that, uh, that people think they are. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that are these, you know, quote unquote overnight successes, they've worked very hard. And, and in my case, I kind of never stopped working. I mean, there's a, uh, and I actually, <laughs> I am not going to call myself a workaholic, but I am going to say that I need to to not work as much as I have been, and I realize that I need to do a little more self care in that respect. But um, it's 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 a joy in some ways too. I mean, there's a lot of frustrations, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of joy. It's it's a very mixed bag, but I. I know what my goal is, and, and I'm ever pointing at that goal. I have never lost sight of that goal since that day on the beach with Tim, and that is to be a producer and make a living at it and, you know, be comfortable, feed my family, not be rich and famous. I don't care. I just want to have a comfortable life making things that inspire other people. That That is awesome right there. That's a great goal for a non-aspiring producer, writer. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry, I just had to use that word one more time. <laughs> Aspire all you want in your head, but don't call yourself that in public, for God's sake, because <laughs> people won't take you seriously. Fair enough. That's that's great advice right there as well. And once again, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. I have one final thing for you to do, Willow, and yep. that is sign off the show. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show today? Absolutely. I'm Willow Polson, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you to Willow Polson for taking time out of her busy schedule to sit down and have a conversation with me. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I'm sure you have a lot going on here at Uncontained, starting to do something that's really cool to give you a little early access behind the show. I know a lot of people like to see things. So what I've been doing lately is when I can, I try to do the show on Instagram Live or maybe even Facebook Live from time to time. We'll see see what happens. But you'll get a look at the show as it's being recorded. Uh, make sure you're following me on Instagram. It's at Uncontained Pod. And same on Facebook as well at Uncontained Pond. It's the same all the way across the social medias. And if you are watching while doing the interview live and you have a question you want me to ask, please submit it and uh, maybe I'll be able to use it on air. Thank you for listening. And once again, until next time, live uncontained. <laughs>